Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Tatiana Hargraves. We recorded this via Skype last week, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. I want to thank Get Up in the Cool's newest Patreon supporters, JC Roos and Patrick Logterman. I hope I pronounced your names correctly. Your support means a lot, especially right now. Thank you so much. If anyone else wants to support the show, you can sign up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool, which is linked in the show notes. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with this week's guest. But first, here's my interview and jam with Tatiana Hargraves. Enjoy. Hargraves, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks for having yeah. me. Thanks for doing this. You're in uh, North Carolina right now, right? Yes, you're, I'm in Durham. Yeah, you're in Durham. I wasn't sure. Um, people just started moving all over the place once the pandemic happened. And they're like, actually, I'm not going to pandemic where I am right now. But like, it's not, that's where you've been for a while, correct? Yeah, I've been here for, I think, about three, year, three years now, going into my fourth year. What, was there something specific that drew you to Durham? Because you're a, an, a fellow Oregonian originally. I am. Yeah, I grew up in Corvallis. Have you ever been Shout to Corvallis? Out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do in Corvallis? <laughs> I, I've, I've been through. <laughs> That's You've been it. through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not in properly. Well, I was finishing up going to school at Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts, and was touring a bunch with Lori Lewis, and she had just, we had just done this album um, called the Hazel and Alice Sessions, which was all Hazel and mm. Alice material. And we were playing at IBMA and we're playing with Alice. And um, I had met Alice like at a Shokin when I was like, I don't know, in high school or something. So I kind of already knew Alice, but then I hadn't seen her in a while. And then we were playing all of her music. And I just had this moment where I was like, oh, I should move to Durham and hang out with Alice. <laughs> That's a great um, idea. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and there's so many great musicians around here. Um, Gail Gillespie in Chapel Hill and Joseph DeCosimo right here in Durham as well. Um, a lot of other folks and lots of great musics of all types here. It's really been fun getting to know people um, in the different musical communities around here, not just old time. Uh, I really like that yeah, you you moved there to hang out with Alice because one of the main kind of threads that I hear when I interview um, boomer old time musicians is they say that they like spent a part of their life like just going on some sort of pilgrimage to go and like study with Tommy Jarrell or Benton Flippin or whoever and but they're not from there and they're like, yeah, I'm just going to go do this. But I feel like a lot of people 
that I know uh, in our generation um, don't necessarily bother to do that, which is totally understandable. But I love that you actually uh, picked up and moved there. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it was the perfect time because I had just finished school and um, I really didn't like New England very much. A lot of really amazing people um, in Western Mass um, that I got to play music with, but I just didn't really, I don't know, I didn't feel at home in New England. So I was like, okay, like, I know I'll probably end up back on the West Coast eventually, but like, I want to live in the South. I play Southern music. I should yeah. <laughs> live in the South. Um, it makes sense. And then figuring out like, okay, like, I, you know, Asheville, I have a lot of friends there, but Asheville is also kind of annoying sometimes. So, you know, all the, and there's like, okay, Nashville, <laughs> like, ugh. um, and then I was like, oh, I could try out Durham. And I've been here for a while now. It's just kind of worked out. What was that first tune? What what, what did you play? Um, that was Sugar in My Coffee uh, from mm. Vesta Johnson, Missouri. Fiddler. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I've actually heard much Vesta Johnson. Um, I sort of mostly know her when there's like an online discussion about like female fiddlers. Her name sort of like goes, <laughs> she's sort of like the token one that people like mention often. Yeah. Um, but I actually unfamiliar with her music. That tune rules. Sugar in my coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's a lot of cool versions of that. I've been using that tune a lot for teaching. I've been teaching a lot since COVID and um, it's a great tune to teach because her version is just so solid and a lot of like fun variations that she does, but also like it's fun to compare her version to Lyman Enloe's version, um, to Johnny Warren's version, um, and kind of comparing like, okay, like this is the same tune, who else plays it? How do they play it? What is the essence of the tune that is carried throughout all these different versions? Um, and that's, mm. I like doing that and it's fun to work with students on that too. So I just have been playing that tune a lot lately. <laughs> is your teaching, is that a thing that you've transitioned into because of pandemic or have you been doing that for a long time? I've been doing it for a while. Um, even like back in high school, I had like a couple students um, and I always really loved teaching. And um, one of my early fiddle teachers, Amy Boer, towards the end of when I was taking from her, she kind of mentored me in how to teach fiddle. Um, so I feel like that was something that really kind of pushed me into like, oh yeah, teaching is another great way of sharing music with folks. And so I've always had students on the side and taught at some camps. Last summer I taught at like six camps in a row, which I never want to do again. <laughs> um, but I love teaching. I love having a studio um, since, since COVID I've had like 30 students, um, mm. and we're going to do a little recital in August, which I'm excited about. And awesome. most of my students are, I've never met before, which is kind mm -hmm. of cool. Um, so I'm meeting a lot of people through it and, um, it's just really, I love, I love teaching. It's great. <laughs> That's really awesome that you've found a bunch of new students, especially I'm, I'm sure you've had, a lot of things canceled. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm glad you have something to do and also like uh, uh, a stable income. Um, people are. Yeah. Yeah. People are freaking out right now because of, I think musicians, I don't want to say musicians, especially, um, but musicians in, in our own per particular way. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because although it is hard to be a musician right now, we're also very adaptable. Like we can put our stuff online, we can make recordings, we can teach. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the same kind of accessibility issues as other like education access right now and other jobs that can or can't, you know, be put onto the internet. But I think musicians, you know, we are flexible in that way which is really lucky for us. I feel like venues, that's like, I've seen several venues closing down. So that's gonna be like, once we get back to touring, there won't be any venues like small enough for me yeah. to play in. 
Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, on the other hand, I, I hope people are also very eager to patronize the arts uh, in person when this is all over, if if that is a thing that happens. Um, and uh, <laughs> so I don't know, maybe people will open up new venues or something. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I... <laughs> I agree. That is the stressful part of all of this. I've also been thinking about how, you know, it's going to be a process um, opening back up, whatever that means. Um, but things are going to be a lot more localized for a while. And yeah. um, what that means for touring musicians. So like being more of a local musician. So I'm thinking about that too, because, you know, since I've moved here, I've been on the road like 50, yeah. 60, 70% of the time. So um, being like a Durham local is actually a new thing for me. Um, yeah. Even though I've been living here for like over three years now or almost three years. So. Well, yeah, maybe there will be like a window of time when things reopen um, where you'll be able to actually enjoy sort of being in the city publicly before you like uh, – have to go back to never being home. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe yeah, I just make a life change and do things differently. <laughs> maybe. Let's play another tune. And uh, then I want to ask about your like old time and maybe just fiddle in general origin okay. story. Uh, but what uh, do you want to play next? <laughs> hmm. Let's see. Let's do, since we're talking about quarantine times something that i've learned since quarantine um Great. i have been getting really into tex logan's fiddling um he played with bill monroe um and he also worked at bell labs and like helped develop like mp3 files or something like that what? um <laughs> but he's like a crazy fiddler wow. um we recorded his version of katie hill in the hard drive album um, but I just got a, like a huge amount of recordings of his fiddling from Michael Daves and it's been really fun digging into that. And I love how he's just so driving and it just, I don't know, he's a, he's an old time fiddler <laughs> and yeah. he can also play bluegrass and Texas and swing, but this is his version of rabbit wears your mammy. Um, Great. and I'm really excited to hear what you play on banjo with this. Cause I've never yeah, really we'll played this with anyone. So <laughs> All right, so in the key of D. That's so cool. I've never seen an old time tune just hang out up by that uh, up on that D like yeah, and, and stay in that position. <laughs> it makes so much sense, though. And like, I feel like Tex Logan does it a lot. And I totally forgot how to incorporate this other variation into it. But he does it on the lower strings, too. He goes. 
such like an unpretentious way of playing up high and it just really yeah. finds cool ways of like allowing the instrument to resonate i feel like judy hyman does that too like um mm. in three shoes like like she does the whole thing and that <laughs> you know and i think yeah. she said she did it that way because she was lying on a couch and it just like <laughs> felt comfortable <laughs> there but it's really cool like to explore different positions and it's not necessarily like fancy i mean i guess it's a little fancy but it's it's still resonant and driving and not like snuffy yeah. classical fancy you know usually there's like a flashy moment in an old time tune if you go up to like <laughs> yeah. if you go up to something but it, it it really doesn't necessarily broadcast itself unless you recognize that well, your hand is not where a fiddler's hand usually is in all time music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or if you hear like, that sounds really high pitched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when did you start playing fiddle? Um, you know, it's all kind of a blur, but I, uh, I think I was got my first fiddle when I was three and um, my older brother played too. And he's, three years older than me. So I kind of just grew up around it and started with like Suzuki method stuff and Texas style fiddling. Mm, why, why Texas style fiddling? That's a really good question. I have no idea. Um, I think it was maybe like the first fiddle teacher my brother had was a Texas style fiddler. Yeah. Um, because I don't think like my parents are into like folk and bluegrass music. Um, and they both play, but they're not like Texas musicians. Um, yeah. so I think it was just because those were the teachers that were around. Um, and there's a huge like Texas contest fiddle scene in the, on the West coast. And I grew up going to contests like Weezer and the Oregon old time fiddlers contest and Oregon old time fiddlers contest is a Texas style contest. Yeah. <laughs> um, my sort of understanding is that that was sort of the fiddle style uh, that was sort of disseminated in terms of like old time fiddling, not counting like like Mexican fiddling and stuff like that. Because um, yeah, I, I've been trying to figure out like what is the what is the Pacific Northwest like you know sort of fiddle tradition and like what do people what have people been passing on here? And I keep running into that. Like I don't know that much about the Oregon Old Time Fiddlers Association. I mean, were you an active like part of that, and not just the contest? Did you go to? We did. We did some stuff, um, and we got like the newsletter. And you know, I was a kid, so I didn't really engage that much. But like, definitely knew all the people, like peripherally at least, all the people involved. Um, and went to that the Oregon State contest almost every year and Benton County where Corvallis is like Benton County had a fiddle contest that that was my first fiddle contest at the county fair there so yeah it's a big part and you know there is an archive online of all the past Oregon Old Time Fiddlers Association newsletters and I was digging through it because um I found out that Linda Danielson she's a great like Scottish fiddler based in Eugene um, she recorded a bunch of old-time fiddlers in Oregon in the 70s, and one of them was Estel Bingham, who I know wow. as a Kentucky fiddler, and, yeah. like, you know, his tune's Old Granny Blair, and I had no idea that she recorded Estel Bingham in the 70s, and I, like, took Scottish fiddle lessons from her when I was a kid, and so wow. I reached out to her, and there's at the Lynn... I think at the Lynn County Archives, there are all of these recordings that she made of Oregon fiddlers in the 70s, but there's also some interview snippets and you can see her correspondences with the Oregon Old Time Fiddlers Association, like in the 1970s era newsletters online. Bam. And that's something I would love to, to learn more about and look into more. And I, I haven't gotten to hear those recordings because um, I haven't gotten to that archive, but I would love to, to listen to those other fiddlers that Linda recorded then. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, so I, I didn't grow up in a musical, a particularly musical family. And now I'm making, to some extent, a musical family. We will see. Um, in that, <laughs> like, my 
oldest son, who's five, is taking violin lessons. And um, my younger son will probably also do that when he's old enough. Um, Becca, my wife, uh, plays uh, plays piano and is like playing banjo. And I've been thinking a lot about this is sort of the podcast within the podcast is me like trying to figure out what is the the correct way or the safe way or the respectful way to make a like musical family um, that doesn't ruin music. <laughs> and I, I was thinking like, are you are you the youngest? Is it just the two of you? Yeah. What I, I want to ask you a few questions. One, and you can a- answer these in whatever order or none at all. Um, okay. Did you, <laughs> when you started playing music, was it just because this is what everyone else is doing in, in your household? Uh, was there a point where you, for the sake of differentiation, um, wanted to rebel against that? And then what has your... What does your process look like of in in your family, like making space for yourself as a musician? Mm, those are great questions. I'm gonna put my great. fiddle down so I can sit more comfortably here. Yeah. Um, this has been a time of reflection as I'm stuck at yeah. home, and I've been thinking a lot about this um, because. Yes, music was definitely something that was always there. We would go to bluegrass jams a lot, um, pretty much every week growing up or Mm. close to it. We'd play a lot in the house. Um, Hearing my brother play and practice was really influential for me. I did not like to practice and definitely my parents had to force me to practice, which was annoying, but also, you know, it helped. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, there, I think there's definitely a fine line there. Um, the part that I think was harmful was this constant hmm. pressure of performance. And I think part of that came from participating in contests um, yeah. and also like performing at an early age. And, you know, in the end, all of those things helped make me who I am and make my music what it is. But also I feel like having that performative pressure from such an early age took out. And I feel like that, you know, when I think about it, it was like maybe in middle school Mm. or even high school, I was still enjoying it. But there was some shift that happened maybe around middle school, high school where, you know, I recorded my album when... I was a freshman in high school or like going into my freshman year. Um, And I did like a little tour then and it was fun, but I think it changed my relationship to music um, because it made it more of a public sphere thing rather than a private sphere thing. And realizing now during quarantine, like I had lost my private relationship with music so yeah. it's been really special to like reconnect in a private way with music because now it's always public. And maybe that's more of just in general being a performer and maybe it doesn't have to do with being a performer since I was a kid. Mm. But, you know, I definitely think about how it's changed my relationship to music and feeling like I have to perform and have to prove myself all the time when that just like makes the music not fun. and. I don't know, you know, like after quarantine, like, man, like, I don't know if I want to perform, like, or maybe if I can re like shift how I think about performing where it's still fun and I don't feel like I have to prove myself because it's like really ingrained in there. You're reminding me of um, when I've been talking to Nick Garris over the last year, I've been, been becoming really good friends with him. And one of the ideas that he introduced me to that I can't stop thinking about is the idea that like, when dancers perform, audiences just basically have no problem or no qualms with feeling completely entitled to the dancers, the dancers body and just sort of like Mm. objectifying them. And like, we're just consuming this performance and um, how, (laughs) how like essential it is to, um, to some performers to find some way to subvert that relationship or queer the space or make it uncomfortable. Because if you don't, (laughs) 
then you'll sort of be lost. You have you risk like losing part of yourself in just being consumed. And uh, totally, yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot as someone who performs music, even though the the connection there isn't quite. You know, you have this like tool that's kind of in between you and the audience. You know, but like I think there's still an element there, um, and it's something I've been thinking about as I like. Uh, make this show every week and then there's like a bunch of people who you know when they meet me they're like oh yeah I feel like you're my friend <laughs> which is fine people can I get it most people are very self-aware about it um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, yeah I I can only imagine for someone who attained your level of skill as early as you did um, you were probably wrestling with those things back then uh, and early and at the same time as wrestling with a lot of other, like, you know, just how to be a human kind of things or how to be an adult. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I can, Im- I can only imagine that that would be, that that would be uh, a challenge, not necessarily, not necessarily bad, but like, that's, that's a, that's a thing that you would have to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I guess when I'm thinking about like your question of like raising a musical family, like. Yes. I feel like it's just what f- for me what where I hold like maybe like resentment or whatever um, yeah. is is the performative element. And it wasn't just in performing but feeling like I had to like prove myself in some way. And I and that could have been from just like doing so many contests, you know? Yeah. Um yes. and especially in the contests you're competing against your peers, you know, it's like um they're like age divisions, like the peewees, the juniors, the junior, junior. So it's like constantly, you know, it's like this competition thing. And, um, I don't know. I just think it, it didn't, I think it held me back. Um, interesting. Or it's holding me back now because I still feel like I'm restrained by this idea of having to be a submit yourself before judgment. (laughs) exactly yes exactly yeah yeah yeah. shoot (laughs) has has there been any in light of that have you made any musical decisions um about the way that you play the things that you play in order to distance yourself from uh the modes of relating to music that like you know you learned from being in constant contests as a kid like how are you how how are you relating to music now mm-hmm. with all of your agency and how to do that yeah um i mean it's a constant it's you know i'm still growing and developing i think something that okay i feel like there's a couple of big moments that were like life changing um and really taught me a lot one of them was like winning clifftop um yes. in 2009 i think and like i didn't know what the hell i was doing um I was shocked and felt really uncomfortable because I felt like the only reason, and I still feel this way, the only reason why I won was because the judges were impressed that a small girl was playing like that. But it wasn't actually because I was like, you know, at the same level as the other people. So like, there's like that weird moment. And then like, there's a letter to the editor in the Old Time Herald after that being like the clifftop fiddle contest results like goes against everything that Appalachian music stands for or something like that. And that was like a big moment. It was like, Oh, like I need to think about my place. Um, and that letter made me think in a good way, but also made me terrified to do anything on my own that didn't fit into this rigid idea of tradition. Yes. So that was like going into high school. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to college and study ethnomusicology and think about what tradition means, blah, 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 blah. And then (laughs) in the middle of college, and then I was like, okay, I play old time fiddle. You know, I'm like going to do this thing because I've been doing like Texas and some like Celtic stuff. And then I got really into old time. And I never thought about bluegrass as an option. And then in college, Lori Lewis it's like, hey, I'm doing like I had known Lori since I was little, and she's like, hey, I'm I'm doing a show in Northampton. Can you play with me? I'm like, Lori, like I don't, I'm not a bluegrass fiddler. And she said, you will be by the time the show happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was like, oh, okay. So I like learned like learned some bluegrass stuff and like started to get into that and realized like, oh my god, I can totally do this. 
Um, and those, I feel like those moments both pushed me in different ways to reflect on my position within a traditional music community. And then after being like overly obsessive about like, about that, to realize like, oh, I can still do other things. And then I feel like now, and there's been lots of other little things that lead up to now, but now I'm realizing that like my own voice musically like really does lie in between these different genre categories. And that's where I'm feeling like I have freedom. And I, I think I'm feeling that with my playing with Allison DeGroote, like I feel like we can just mm. do our thing and have fun. And same with hard drive. Like that was really like, oh my God, I can just like play however I want to play and it doesn't matter because we're just having fun. Um, So I feel like having those two projects that are more my own thing and with like friends, um, that feels, I don't know, I feel like I'm finally like being okay and comfortable with the fact that my playing is going to be my playing and I'm okay with that. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whew, there's, I have like a lot of follow-up questions. Um, I need to like, how about, will you play another tune? And yeah, then sure. I, I will kind of collect myself. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry, this is like turning into therapy session. Like, <laughs> no, I'm just feeling I'm young. asking you personal questions. Feel free to be like, hey, cut all that shit out. <laughs> you know, it's really nice because I've been thinking about like how I have this like persona that I present on stage and I'm kind of done with trying to do that. So it's nice to just like have some real talk. Um, so just kind of along these same themes, I thought I would do this Kenny Baker tune that I've been playing in a cross tuning that he doesn't do. And it's kind okay. of like my own thing. Um, and again, I'm really excited to hear how you play it on banjo. Um, I, it's Denver Bell, which is usually a C tune, um, but I play it in cross or calico in G, Gallico. Yes. <laughs> would, would this would this qualify as an as an emo Gallico tune? <laughs> um, I don't know. I was thinking okay. about this. We could do another one of those later, maybe. Okay. I feel yeah. like this one, this is weird because it has like a key change in the middle. Oh, good. Um, in in Gallico tuning. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a Kenny Baker tune put in calico tuning I don't even know what I was thinking when I was doing this but it's it is what it is (laughs) here's Denver Bells
So yeah, Kenny Baker does not play that in Calico. No, it's a C tune and standard tuning usually. Okay, so I would would Kenny Baker be going from C to G then? Yes. Um, and you and you were going from G Calico to to D in G Calico. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of hard, and I messed it up a little bit. That's my new favorite thing. That's so great. Yeah, it's I like it, uh, but it's hard. So you know, it's a little sloppy there, but whatever. Uh, no, I mean, I, it's a, it's a really cool sound. It's like everything that's spooky about calico, but completely destabilized in a different key. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, cool. Denver Bells. I always forget if it's singular or plural. It might be bell. Okay. That totally changes the meaning, probably, but... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I will look into it and put the... Great. Because I, I never make a mistake on the on the official tune lists. Let it... <laughs> <laughs> I would never, ever. Um, speaking of old-time police, you are a well-known person in the old-time community, and that means that when people are talking about what the music is, um, your name comes up. And I'm wondering, is there a certain amount of pressure uh, that comes with that widespread level of like, you know, the, the potential for scrutiny and... Um, the conversation about whether what you're doing is traditional enough. And I was, I was curious about what that feels like and how, how do you, how do you interact with that? Especially when the old time community is so small and everyone <laughs> kind of knows each other already. So like, but people still uh, will act like, you know, people who are successful in the community uh, on a professional level are sort of far away and like word won't get to them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Oof, big question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think about this a lot. The first thing that comes to mind is I don't like that I'm one of those people that come up on YouTube when you look up mm. Old Time Fiddler. Um, first of all, a lot of the YouTube videos out there are from when I'm like a teenager and I don't yeah. like, like, at least I play a little bit better now than I did then, hopefully. Yeah. And also like now I own it more, you know, like I make my own choices now um, yes. based on what I know and I am also aware that I don't know a lot and I'm always wanting to learn more. Whereas when I was younger, I didn't really think as much in general. Sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it makes me really uncomfortable to be one of those like public faces of old time. Um, and that's kind of, I don't know, in some ways it's like surprising to hear you say that because I feel like the more a part of the old time community I feel, the less I f feel like I'm actually like a public face. Cause I'm like, oh my God, like all these awesome people. But then knowing like, yeah. oh yeah, I guess like if you're just getting into old time fiddle, like I know that my album comes up on Spotify with Bruce Molsky's music because sure. he produced yeah. my first album. So, and that's really weird because like that album I made when I was 13 and I would make different choices now than I did then. So that's like yeah. a whole other layer. But yeah, I guess what I try to do as a performer and an educator now, knowing that I do have some sort of presence, is to try to push it, nudge it in the ways that I can. Um, yeah. Whether it's in choosing repertoire from black fiddlers or women fiddlers or you know, queering up the space or pushing people to rethink tradition, rethink their approaches. Mm. People, like for example, with students, if I have a student who's super tradition oriented, push them to hear all the variations, push them to hear all yes. the variants of a certain tune. And if I have a student that's totally like anti-tradition oriented, like push them into knowing that it's important to know the tradition. That's something I love about mm. teaching because it's like on an individual level, you can see like, oh, like I think this student needs a little to engage more with history 
or this student needs to get yes. out of the history bubble and engage more with contemporary stuff. And as a performer, I feel like it's a little bit different because it is more about like what rapid like what tunes I actually like to play. And I try to, sure. you know, pick repertoire to talk about history in various ways and reframe the narrative of old time music. Um, but also I just want to play the tunes that I like to play. So it's like kind of finding the right balance there as a performer. So I guess I just want to use the platform that I have to, um, push people in the way that I think they need to be pushed, whatever side of the spectrum they're on. And then also something that I'd like to be better at is just being open and honest about my own position and how I also don't really know what I'm doing or what's going on. So I would like to be better at just kind of <laughs> being like, what? I don't know either. <laughs> but, um, and that's, you know, part of, part of it, I guess. Yeah, I hadn't, it hadn't even occurred to me that because you've been in the public eye in this small community and, and in other communities as well, like for long enough um, that you, there are probably people who have, um, ideas about you or ideas about your playing that are based uh, on like a much um, earlier model <laughs> of, of talk <Tati>. yes. <laughs> to you. Yeah. And um, I mean, I kind of relate to relate to that. There's some stuff that uh, I said in the first year of Get Up in the Cool that's just like straight up ignorant bullshit. <laughs> I've actually, I've, I've at least in one occasion gone back and redacted a thing because it was just so heinous. And because I'm like, I no one's going to benefit from this being public record. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, but I left a lot of it up there. But like, uh, and when people tell me that they're like going back into the early episodes, I'm like, Okay, uh, just so you know, I've come a long way since then. It's, but but part of it is also like you know my like playing decisions because like uh, when you're when you're developing your techniques and your ideas and your idioms on your instrument, those get refined and those change over time. And sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes I look back and I'm like, hey, that was like a great lick that I played. And then sometimes I look back and I'm like oh my God, that was when I was learning how to do that one technique and I tried to put it in every fucking tune. <laughs> and it's, and yeah. I'm absolutely insufferable. Well, okay, I'm just now looking at the time and we should we should, ha we should play another tune. How many have we done so far? Three, I think? We did the first one. We, yeah, three. The sugar and... Okay, great, great. Uh... Yeah, let, let's let's do another tune, and then we'll uh, talk okay. about where to buy all your all of your things and how to study with you and etc. Okay, so we could do Laughing Boy, kind of an emo Gallico tune, or we could do um, a version of Blackberry Blossom from Emily Dickerson, a Kentucky fiddler. Choices. Or we could do Waynesboro, just you know, a G tune. Uh, I want to do, I want to do this Blackberry Blossom. Cool. That sounds great. All right, let me get, switch up the, um, the shoulder rest here. Okay. So, yeah, this, this is a version of Blackberry Blossom that comes from Emily Dickerson. And I would like to know more about her. I first <laughs> found out about her because I think Negosi posted a picture of her on Instagram Hmm. And I was like, oh my god, that's my doppelganger. <laughs> Whoa, really? Um, and she's a badass fiddler. And um, you can find her music on the Berea archive. Um, Great. But this is her version of Blackberry Blossom.
That's so cool. Emma, Emily Dickerson? Is that what you said? Yeah, Emma Lee Emma. Dickerson. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you clarified. Emma Lee Dickerson. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Well, we have one one tune left. Okay. Before before we go, where do people go to buy your albums, to hear more of your music, to I don't know if you're accepting students right now, but potentially to at least get on the wait list for studying fiddle with you, things like that. <laughs> where where do we go? Yeah. And anything so, else you want to shout out? Okay. Um, well, I guess the best place to go for all this is my website, which is www.tatianahargraves.com. Um, has some great pictures from when my hair looked good, not like now, and it's just a mess. So if you want to see some cool hair, go to my website. <laughs> um, and you can also find um, my albums on there and uh, contact info for teaching. And I also have my rates on there, which are flexible right now as well. I am accepting new students all the time. A lot of my students are, you know, once a month or like every couple weeks. So usually I can squeeze people in um, unless I get like hundreds of people, which I'm not. I probably won't get, but, um, yeah, yeah. I love teaching students of all ages and levels. Um, I have a couple of brand new fiddlers that got fiddles in the mail during COVID. Um, that's a challenge, mm. but it's fun. And I have a lot of <laughs> classical violinists who want to play fiddle. Um, I also teach bluegrass fiddle if anyone's interested in that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, hit me up for teaching. Um, as far as my albums, you can get Allison and my album on the Free Dirt Records website, which is freedirt.net, because um, you should never shop on Amazon. And you then you can get the Hard Drive album on Bandcamp. I've been listening to a lot of... Well, I've been listening to a lot of you recently, listening to Al Allison DeGroote and Tatiana Hargraves. Uh, and then obviously I've been listening to spider tails a lot and oh yeah yeah Such i am so excited work. about that album and so excited how well it's being received and so excited for jake uh, um yeah. yeah i'm really really honored to be a part of that album it was such a great great experience recording it and just getting to to be jake's friend and um touring with him is always fun <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, he called me right before I got on with you. I'm like, "Oh, I'm about to do uh Cameron's thing and Th yeah, thank you so much for doing this and uh speaking so candidly about uh er everything that's good and challenging about playing music. Yeah, thanks so much for um having me and asking great questions. This was a great conversation. Okay. Yeah. It was it was so really nice to that. like actually talk to you. This hasn't really happened before and I know yeah. so many other people who know you very well and so it's yeah, this is lovely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you want to play for the last tune? I'm in Gallico tuning, so great. we could do Laughing Boy just like since I've been craving it G Calico emo here it, jam. Here it comes. Here it comes. Yeah, I taught this tune to a student earlier this week, and then I was just like super in the mood to just mm. jam out on it. Um, it's so fun. Like I don't know, with teaching, I don't know. I feel like I'm really affected by my students, and it's fun to like have a tune I teach to a student and be like, oh my god, like I want to play that tune. Yes. <laughs> or like another one of my students, just like she talks about loving to jam out, and now I'm like. I use that terminology too. <laughs> I want to jam out. <laughs> she's she's awesome. She's like seven, um, raging fiddler already. It's great. Okay, laughing boy. So this kind of I feel like also ties all these different things together. Like it's a Texas tune from Benny Thomason, Texas fiddler. I don't know. I learned it recently, and it's not necessarily like a Texas contest tune that people play. And I feel like I've definitely had like really nice Pacific Northwest jams with this tune mm. <laughs> um yeah all right laughing boy from benny thompson one two Thank you. 
Visit Tati's website at TatianaHargraves.com to order her albums and contact her for lessons. And like and follow her on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date. You can support Get Up In The Cool at Patreon.com slash Get Up In The Cool. Order a t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up In The Cool's Teespring store. Make sure to like and follow Get Up In The Cool on Facebook so you can see the video I posted from this episode and share it with everyone you know. Visit PitchforkBanjo.com for my instructional banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside The Box Set, available in all the same places as Get Up In The Cool. And everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up In The Cool.